like a, like a, a movie rating system. And uh, this will be a little bit, uh, normally most of the sermons are PG, but if they get to kind of like the PG-13 level, I'm going to give you a heads up. And this sermon series, because we're going to be dealing with some very real topics, is probably going to be closer to like PG-13-ish from time to time, okay? So if you have young people, we've got children's ministry going on right now and uh, at, at 10 a.m. And so if you decide to keep your young person here, pastor warns you, okay? All right, so we're going to be dealing with some really good things and good items that a lot of times culture and society just doesn't want to talk about, but we want to go ahead and care for them because God's Word talks about it, especially around strengthening God's families. Now, I grew up as a, 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 with a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister. My, my brother uh, is about a year and a half younger than I am, and then my sister came along and was adopted when I was about 13 or 14 years old, and she came to live with us when she was about seven. And it was very clear to me early on that faith was at the center of our household. And we were attending church every single Sunday. We'd go to Sunday school class. We'd go to confirmation uh, classes, which is basically, and we're going to be having this for our young people here at the church coming in the spring, but it's teaching and training for junior higher age children, sometimes freshmen. And uh, it's, it's around confirming our faith, confirming our understanding of God's church, confirming um, our, our belief in God. And, and all of those kinds of things. And I went through that as a kid, and I was involved in youth group, and, and you know, my parents kind of made church the priority, and it didn't matter what my other friends were doing. We were going to church kind of thing. Now, my mom, Karen, she was a, a, and is, continues to be a very strong and confident woman of the faith, and she has always been an incredible encourager to me. She's shown up everywhere in my life. She's been incredibly hospitable all of my life. Uh, when we were younger, uh, all of my friends wanted to come over to our house when there was time to spend the night at somebody's house because Mrs. Alice made pizza and cookies and more pizza and more cookies, and she always had food in the house every time we would do anything. And here I am as a grown man, a grown adult. I've been married for almost 26 years. I have children of my own, and when my parents show up, she still brings the food. Can I get an amen? You guys have a family member like that? She's just always incredibly hospitable, and that's my mom. Now, there's my dad, who's a strong uh, a, a man of moral integrity. He's driven, thought-provoking, and he's been a godly example of the man of a Christian household that he has shown me for years and years and years. I love my mom, and I love my dad, and they've shown me so much. And they held my brother and my sister and me to a, a, a clearly defined set of standards and lines of behavior of do's and don'ts. And when you started to cross that line, or you started to go from do's into don'ts, they would offer loving and corrective discipline that kind of started with grounding. Now, I would get grounded for a few hours. I would get grounded for a day. And then there were times where I would get grounded for a season. And I deserved all of it. No shame on my parents. I deserved all of it. I was a, I was a handful from time to time. My dad, if he got really frustrated and wanted to take care of it then and now, he would say, okay, you owe me 20 push-ups. He'd give us push-ups and sit-ups kind of as the, the punishment. And, 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 and so there were seasons where I was really strong. I was really strong and, and, got, and got my exercise and, and really built up. And then, yes, from time to time when we were young, my children paddled us. Oh, my goodness gracious. And I, I'm here to tell you, as, as a result of paddling, I've developed several disorders since then. Uh, one of those disorders is I learned discipline. Um, other disorders are respect, obedience, and consequences. I mean, imagine that, that could come out of something as harmful and, and, and terrible as paddling your child in those moments. And it just seems to me in our culture and society today, it's become so taboo of a topic, 
in, 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 in a conversation. But yet those were the ways that my parents helped us bring back into correction because they loved us. And it was clear that their relationship between my mom and my dad and their faith in Christ set the tone in our house. Is that making sense? My parents and their relationship and their love for Christ together really set the tone for our household. And, and, and the epitome of that for me when I was a kid was in our laundry room, there was a sign, you know, like a wall decoration that uh, you, know, you, you get when you go to Bed Bath & Beyond or you go up to Hobby Lobby, they had wall decorations with sayings on them. And, and this one said, as for me and my house, you guys know the rest of this? We will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, early on, I didn't necessarily remember or realize that it was Scripture, that that was out of God's Word. I just, I just took that as my mom and dad just laying it down. They're the ones that came and said, hey, we are going to serve the Lord in this household. Now, what's amazing to me is I didn't just see it written on a wall. I saw it in the way that my parents lived and guided and led our family. So, friends, that's our theme verse, actually, for this sermon series. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and we're going to get the backstory on that verse next Sunday. And it says, but as for me and my house, it's a declaration we will serve the Lord. Now, friends, I believe that's the desire of every single household in here, every single household listening online here today, that we desire in our heart to be a household, that we want to declare that we want to focus the purpose and efforts of who we are as a family on serving God. And so, friends, that's, that's the heart of our sermon series uh, to, to talk about the foundation of a household and what shaped me can continue to shape you. And it's something that continues to shape me in the way that I parent now, or, or, or as Aaron and I lead our household. It's something that we want to pass along to our children, the foundation of faith in our home. Because friends, if you haven't noticed, marriage and parenting and family life, it's not easy. Can I get an amen from here, somebody here today? I mean, parenting, marriage, family life, it's a challenge, it's a struggle, and we want to do this together. So for four weeks, we're gonna seek the help of God and seek him to strengthen our households. And the question is, if we desire, if we desire for our households to serve the Lord, the question is, how well is your household serving the Lord? That's the question for today. How well is your household serving the Lord? Now, friends, I don't know if you've noticed this in this world today, but in, in each household, it's different. And the structure and the makeup of the collective conscious that dwells there, the household, looks different in so many ways. Now, friends, it used to be 60 or 70 years ago, it was common in the household to consist of a husband and a wife and two and a half kids. Now, I don't know where the half child came from, but that's just kind of the way it was, right? Uh, you know, husband and a wife and two and a half kids. And now, friends, we stand here today in 2022, and long-standing marriages are so rare, and divorce is, is so common, single parenting, cohabitating, and there are all kinds of challenges that are out there. And friends, I noticed that for me. I remember I was sitting at a, um, I can't remember if it was a um, a senior night at a football game or basketball game, but I've noticed them. And, and just the different households that would come forward when a senior was being introduced. And sometimes there was a mom and a dad. And then sometimes there were two moms and two dads. Sometimes there was only one mom or one dad there. Sometimes it was a grandma or a guardian. And it just come to the point where we realize that so much has changed in our culture and society. And there are a lot of challenges and there's a lot of brokenness out there that I recognize in that moment. And so, friends, today we want to look to God as the foundational design for what an abundant household can look like in his name. And we're going to start in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. 
It says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, friends, in that simple verse, God sets up his plan for all of his creation. Now, in Ephesians, Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God is just wrapping up his creation narrative. Remember, we talked about that in our last series about, uh, um, about the Sabbath and how God created the Sabbath and gave it to us. Well, now he's, he's created uh, Adam and he's created Eve. And in that moment, he's talking to us about how he created them one for each other to be able to do life together. Now, what's interesting about this is that Paul is quoting the Old Testament in his letter to the church at Ephesus, but you will also see this very same scripture quoted by Jesus himself. Some people say, unless Jesus says it, I don't, uh, unless Jesus will say it, I don't believe it. Well, friends, Jesus also quoted this very same scripture in the book of Matthew when he said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That they, God has designed man and woman to do life together as husband and wife bound together as one in the covenant of Christian marriage. It is God's design for the household of faith. And God doubles down on that when he says, hey, listen, the son is going to, you know, our son is going to go join this woman or our daughter is going to go and join with this man to be, to be one flesh coming out of a household where mom and dad are actively involved in their covenant of Christian marriage to raise up that child. God's intentions for a husband and wife is the bedrock of a household that is unified in faith and purpose to raise God's creation and God's child. Now, sadly, friends, it is so common for households to experience fracturing, and it's so painful, and it's such a struggle. And oftentimes, as a result of that, children are missing a, 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 a female role model or a motherly role model, or some, a lot of times children are missing a male role model or, or a fatherly role model. As a matter of fact, it's such a challenge that there's a ministry in our area called Forever Dads. And Forever Dads and their mission is to, is to assist uh, father absenteeism is the way that they word it. How do we assist and help this community to make sure that fathers are more actively involved or better equipped in their relationships. And that, that ministry exists because there's such a challenge and epidemic in our culture today. Friends, there is a stability that comes from a mom and a dad unified as one in the Lord. And the results other than that leads to brokenness and confusion in our culture. Now, I want to pause here for a second, friends, because a lot of what we're going to talk about today is going to feel controversial, and it's going to, it's going to feel struggle, and it's going to, there's going to be a challenge in our hearts and our spirits. And I want to say one thing. Friends, we're not here to judge. We're not here to pass judgment. We're not here to look at people's past and say, you blew it, and it's got to be a different way now, and look what you did. Friends, we're not about turning uh, to what's behind us. We're not about looking to the past and, and offering shame and, and, and all kinds of things that the enemy wants to pile on. We're not here to judge the past, but we're here to look to God to lead us into an incredible future. And I, hear, I want you to understand that there is the love of God in this place. God loves you. I love you. The person sitting next to you loves you. But we want to work through some scripture to really help us understand how God sets us up best to be his incredible households. Friends, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus as we seek to strengthen our families today. We're not here to, to berate what happened yesterday. We're here to get better from this day forward, and there is the love of Christ present today in this message, in this house, in this church. 
as we bring a desire to change. You see, when you receive the grace of Jesus Christ, that grace causes us to desire to change, to, to adapt to what God is teaching us because he's shown us so much grace. And God's desire is to transform each and every one of our households into God-honoring households that serve his glory. And so we're straining forward, friends. We're straining forward in his new, amazing best. So let's take a look at some scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that a lot of preachers will avoid preaching because it's such a challenge to take a look at from time to time. And friends, well, we don't shy away from challenges here at Rolling Plains in God's church. We, we lovingly care for God's word and lean into God's word. So let's start off with some, a series of questions. And the first one that's going to get answered in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9 is, what does God say about being single? What does God say about being single? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever thought about it? Well, God's going to answer that in his word. You know, folks that are single, you know, happy being on your own. Or maybe you're waiting for that significant someone to come along in your life. Or maybe you find yourself on the other side of a broken relationship and now you're single. Is there anything wrong with that? What does God say about that? Friends, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than burn with lust. So friends, what you should understand about God's word is God is saying that being single is fine. Now you might say, Pastor, why in the world do you need to take a moment to make that kind of statement? You want to know why, friends? Because I have friends that are, are single. They don't have a significant other in their life. And there is a significant stigma in our community and our culture that comes along with that. And oftentimes, you, might, you can easily feel maybe lesser than other people because, well, you haven't found that significant other. Some people are just satisfied being single. Some people just aren't called to, to, uh, to, to marriage or into a romantic relationship with the opposite sex. And what God is saying, according to Paul, is not only is that fine, it's not a bad idea. He says, because he says, listen, if you remain single, then you have a singular focus on God. He's the only one you're married to. Amen? Now, I don't want you to be looking at no, no spouses. Don't you look at your husbands. Don't look at your wife and say, you know what? You're a distraction unto the Lord. And oh, We're going to get in trouble here today. And wives, do not look at your husbands and say, you are a distraction unto the Lord. No, that is not the point of this message. God, through Paul, is giving an encouragement to go ahead and remain singular focused on God and no other, and that's fine. Now, then he goes on to the next piece, friends, and this is where it gets interesting. He says, but if you are drawn romantically to another, uh, like I was to my now wife, Erin, back when we were courting, when I first met her, I'm like, I, I mean, I saw her, I'm like, hubba hubba. I mean, I'm re I, mean I, was, I, was, I was energized. I was like, man, she's attractive. I got to go meet her, and I got to say hi to her. And the more I started talking to her, the more attracted I began to, uh, I was... I was with her, and, and, and all of a sudden I realized, and I called my mom on the phone after I'd met her, and we went out once. I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. I mean, there was just this, this automatic attraction where, where he, says, he says, listen, but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and get married. So, friends, the next step beyond singledom is to say if you do find somebody that you're attracted to, uh, he says, listen, it's go ahead, go ahead, you need to take that next step of marriage. And so that's what Aaron and I did. And we got married rather quickly. I met her in June. I proposed in September. We got married the next May. We got married the next May. Friends, I want to encourage you, if you are engaged, if you are courting to be married, I want to I discourage you against long engagements because I'm here to tell you the temptations are real. 
The temptations are real. And as a pastor, I don't recommend long engagements. If you're ready, you just go for it. I remember I, I, I was after our first date, I went to visit her on the boardwalk. She was working at a, a clothing shop there in Ocean City, New Jersey. We met in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey on a stateside summer project with Campus Crusade for Christ. I think I've told you that story a number of times. I won't get into it. But I remember sitting there after we'd gone on a date. I brought her a slice of pizza. We sat down and we talked. And I said, honey, I just, no, I didn't say honey. What am I saying? I didn't say, she's my honey now. She's my honey now. I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that then. Lord God, help me. I said, I said, Aaron, I said, um, I just want you to know my intentions. I just want to, I just, I just want you to know my intentions. Either, either I want to date you and we're either going to date and break up someday or I'm going to marry you someday. What do you think about that? That's kind of forward. But then you're also kind of like, well, duh, are there other, are there other options to that? I mean, if you're going to date, you're either going to break up or you're going to get married, right? That's, that's one, you know, one, of, one of the two options in those moments. But I was stating to her that I'm not here to mess around. I'm not here to drag this thing along. I'm not here to play games. I'm not here to, to lead her on or anything else. I just wanted to clearly state my intentions. And I realized after I said that, and I was studying for the sermon, that's exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9 says, is that if you're ready to engage in that next level of romance at that age, and, and we, I was ready to find the love of a lifetime, and here God had shown her to me, is that you want, you just go for it, you get engaged, you go ahead and get married, and you trust the Lord with that. And so then the next thing we want to ask the question about is then what, what, what about just living together? What about cohabitating? Now, friends, I want to encourage you that we're speaking in love and we're speaking in grace. We're not here to beat up or to, or to judge what's gone on in the past or even what's going on now. We're here to share with us what are good steps for the future is that God's word does not offer provision for sexual intimacy or household relationships other than Christian marriage, other than Christian marriage. Friends, sexual relationships, sex is such an incredible gift from God. It is a sacred gift of God. And the Bible, according to what we are given in Ephesians, is reserved between one man and one woman in the covenant bond of Christian marriage where they share their bodies in this bond of marriage. The Bible says that they become one flesh. Friends, according to God, this is a very significant thing that we become one flesh. Flesh. As a matter of fact, scholars link this passage back to when Jesus in the Gospels in the book of John refers to his relationship with the Father, that the Father and I are one, that we are, we are one together. And God calls the unity of a male and female in a covenant of Christian marriage to one flesh and likening it to the bond of God so that when you look at God, you don't see Jesus separately from the Holy Spirit and you don't see the Holy Spirit separately from the Father. You see the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three distinctive presence of God all wrapped up into one being. And when you see a couple, maybe you've seen a married couple and you've looked at them and all of a sudden you just don't see the individual anymore. Have you, have you, have you run into those families before? Maybe you find yourself as one and, and you're just a family unit. Maybe some of the kids here, you recognize that about your parents. It's like, gosh, I know I have a mom and I have my dad, but they're just, they're just become so, so they're, they're one. It's a, it's a unit of faith. And so that's what God has designed for us. And so we got to keep that in mind because marriage is a sacred covenant promise with God at the center of the relationship. When I minister to folk that are seeking a wedding or to be married, I talk to them about the covenant of Christian marriage. It's an invitation to God leading that relationship. And I talk about a triangle. And on the triangle, you have the, the, the husband or the man here and you have the wife or the woman here. And then who's at the top of that relationship? You have God. 
And in the covenant of Christian marriage, you invite God to come and to lead that relationship as a lifetime commitment that begins to be the firm foundation and bedrock for a family. You see, marriage binds households together for the purpose of serving the Lord. And so, friends, here's where we got to be careful. And I want young people to hear this who have yet to make some of these decisions about the way that life is going to go. And we're not here to, to beat up what's happened in the past. We're not here to bring shame on what's going on now. We're just seeking God's best for our life. And in a loving way to hear that to live outside of the covenant of marriage is sifting sand so that when the winds blow and the storms come, cohabitation relationships are easily shaken. There's no commitment. You can come and go as you please. And because you're living outside of the covenant of marriage, nothing bonds or binds a couple together as a result of that. And when we decide to do it our way, when we ignore and, 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 and we say no thanks to God, we go doing so without his blessing, help and power for relationships. And friends, I'm here to tell you, a romantic relationship in the covenant of Christian marriage, I don't know how I do it with God. I don't know how Aaron deals with me with God. I couldn't imagine figuring out how to do that without God. Am I talking to some of the right people here today? Friends, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. But what God does lay out for us is he lays out his perfect will for our life and amazing household relationships, friends. You see, the challenge is, is that when we live together outside of the covenant of Christian marriage and we finally do get married, all that changes is a piece of paper and the same temporary non-committal feelings that linger there linger in that relationship because, well, it's what we practiced while we weren't married, and now that we're married, well, nothing has really changed. Did you know that the divorce rate in America today is 50%? 50% of all marriages are going to end in divorce. And if you live together before you are married, you have a 25% survival rate. In other words, it's another 50% of that. And because in that moment, it's a struggle because the ceremony doesn't fix the mentality that has already been practiced. So friends, a strong, faithful marriage is the bedrock of a household that serves the Lord, bound together by God in a covenant design as he began with Adam and Eve, okay? In love, in grace, friends, we're not looking back, we're looking forward to God's amazing best. So then here's another question that, that Paul goes on and deals with in verse 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians 7. What about divorce? What does God say about divorce? Because it's become so common in our culture. As I mentioned to you, half of all marriages are going to end in divorce in America today. That's, that's, that's just depressing. It's, it's broken. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, well, thank God I go to church. Thank God I'm a believer, so my marriage is good as a result of that. Friends, did you know that that statistic includes church people? It includes God's church. It includes those that attend church. It includes those that are professing Christians, that the divorce rate is no different in God's church than it is in the rest of the world, something for us to pay attention to. So in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, but for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. Now, this is amazing because I think that, 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 you ever heard the statement, don't kill the messenger? Don't hurt the messenger. Paul's saying here, listen, if you have issue with what I'm about to teach, don't take it up with me, take it up with God. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking on that very same, I'm taking on that very same mentality here today, friends. Okay, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm here to say, don't, don't, don't be frustrated with the messenger, just consider the message. Consider what God has to say to us in his word. 
He says, I have a command that comes from me, but uh, not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Friends, can we all admit here today, nobody has ever started out their first day of marriage saying, you know what, it's going to be a good idea for us to get divorced someday. We should consider that as an option. Nobody ever starts a marriage looking towards divorce, but yet half of all couples experience divorce in their life. What's the difference? Where's the, where's the brokenness? Where's the disconnect there? And friends, that's why we need the Word of God to help us think through these things. Nobody thinks that divorce is a good idea in that moment. And if you've experienced it or you've witnessed it in your family, it's painful and it can get ugly and broken and it's full of heartache and it brings consequences onto the rest of your family unit because the bedrock of the household, the covenant promise of God with husband and wife is fractured. And it's so painful that Paul is saying here, don't do it. He says, don't do it. Be reconciled. Don't give up. And your pastor is sitting here saying the same thing to you. Don't, don't give up. Fight for your marriage. Get counseling. Seek healing. Gather the body of Christ around you to pray. Let, let us walk beside you and help you see God's healing in your marriage. Friends, I want to speak to somebody that's listening here via online or somebody that's here present here today, and you're considering dropping the D word to your spouse. And I want to tell you as your pastor, don't do it. I want to help you with that. I want to walk alongside of you. Our leadership team will walk alongside of you. Our staff team will walk alongside of you. We want to be here to heal marriages. There's somebody here today, and you're about to step into an extramarital affair. You don't even know it, but tomorrow somebody's going to whisper something in your ear, or you may be involved in it right now if you're listening online. And I want to tell you, with all the love of God that's in me, is don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And friends, we have seen stories in our congregation of lives healed, marriages restored, because people have made different choices and decisions. Friends, we're not here about what happened yesterday. We're not here about the past. We are asking God to deal with us today. Friends, lives are on the line. Our families are on the line. Don't do it. Step away from that relationship. Come talk to me. There'll be no judgment. There'll just be graciousness. We'll counsel together. We'll figure this out together. We'll fight till heaven's gates together to figure this out, friends. To figure this out, friends. What about divorce is what we're talking about. Be reconciled. Don't give up, the Bible says. Stay committed. Cut off that illicit relationship. Seek forgiveness and healing. Friends, according to God's word, divorce isn't an option in God's plan necessarily. And it doesn't necessarily come with God's blessing. That's why it's so painful. That's why it's so hurtful. But friends, we're not here to look backwards. We're not here to shame and condemn. There is mercy and forgiveness. If you've been divorced, let me talk to those of you that have been divorced. It's not the end. You can know that if our God can raise up a new Jerusalem on the ashes of the burned down old city, then he can raise up a new relationship in your life, even though you come from the ashes of the brokenness of broken family and relationships, friends. That is the redemption of our God. Who believes that today? That there's nothing that God can't redeem. There's nothing in your life God can't restore. Don't live in shame. Just live in repentance, live in confession, live and allow God to grow you and make you better in this new day, and don't allow that to drag you down. Friends, we all make mistakes. We all get into struggling situations, and friends, there is grace and love and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, but friends, grace causes us to want to grow. Grace causes us to want to grow, and so we're not looking backward. We're stepping into God's incredible grace. See, there are times and I've counseled in these moments where divorce may be the only option 
And some of you might be able to think about some of those terrible circumstances. But we have to make sure that we've done everything in our power, but more so everything in God's power to reconcile that relationship according to God's word. So how about, how about another controversial question? Is, if that's not a controversial enough. How about is it a sin to marry? Or is, I'm sorry, is it a sin to remarry? Is it a sin to remarry? Friends, divorce carries its own set of consequences. You shared your body with somebody else in the, in, in, and become one flesh with somebody else. So, so when you step into another relationship, you're now going to be connecting your body to that person in one flesh. And so that's why Paul utters these words in verses 31 to 32 of Matthew. It has been, I'm sorry, this is Jesus. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Friends, there is brokenness and baggage that comes in a broken marriage. And that brokenness and that baggage is going to come with you into the new relationship. And that's why it's important to experience God's incredible forgiveness and to experience God's grace. The Lord can bless your new marriage, friends. It is absolutely possible, but you have to have a repentant heart. You have, to, you have to seek healing. You have to be able to learn from the mistakes you've made in the past and be able to step forward with the renewed intentionality and commitment of the faithfulness of God with your spouse. Is it possible? Absolutely, yes, but we need the healing power of God. Amen? We need God in our life, and we need to allow God to change us and mold us and shape us. We don't just go from one relationship into the next to say, well, that person messed all that up. I'm thank, thank, thank goodness I'm separate from that. Now I can go and have this person get it right. Friends, we got to admit that there was things in our life that we needed to change. There were things that we needed to adjust, and we need to repent and see God's forgiveness and then move into that new an incredible experience, and trust God all over again. You bet there is redemption and renewal and, and, and always, always new opportunities in God in Christ Jesus. If God can resurrect Jerusalem upon its own ashes, you better believe he can reconcile a relationship, and you better believe he can give somebody a second chance into a brand new relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. But we've got to be careful in our marital relationships. When we, when we start to use that D word and that gets put out on the table, our children will do what we do, and it can become an option in their future as well and their relationships. So we need to have candid and loving conversations with our children if we find ourselves in that situation in our lives. And we need to let our children see us fight for our marriage and fight for reconciliation because the fracture of divorce does go deep into the bedrock of the faith of a family, and we need the grace and love of God in that. So friends, a couple more questions and we're done. What about marriages that are unequally yoked? Well, Paul addresses that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 to 13, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. Now, friends, let me talk to somebody, somebody here today that may, maybe is not married, and you're seeing somebody, and they're not a believer or they don't have a strong faith, and maybe you're dating or fiancéing, and I want to encourage you to something. Dating and fiancéing is not a missionary journey. It is just not a missionary journey. What do I mean by that? I mean that we can't go into marriage thinking that we're going to change our spouse, that we're going to be the ones to reach them for Jesus Christ. Friends, the most attractive thing about a future spouse is a vibrant faith in God, amen? And if not that, then what is the main attraction there? We have to ask those questions. 
And so we have to say, listen, God, is it your will if I'm dating or fiancing and that person just doesn't have faith in Jesus or, 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 or even a vibrant faith in that moment? And we have to ask ourselves that question. When we were uh, having our marriage counseling, when Aaron and I were seeking to be wed, uh, we sat down with a joint couple, uh, uh, with the, the, the man who was doing the marriage counseling and with his wife, and we sat down and we talked together. And they looked at us and said, hey, uh, John, is there anything about Aaron that you want to see changed before you get married or once you get married? And he said, Aaron, do you see anything about John that you want to see happen, uh, that, that you want to see changed uh, before you guys get married? And, and you, and you want to know what he was trying to say? He's like, listen, uh, you, you're probably not going to be able to change them now, and you're certainly not going to be able to change them 25 years from now. I mean, I can tell you, we've been married for 25 years, and, and Aaron has been putting up with some nonsense for me for 26 years. You think at some point in time, maybe I'll change, but no, I, I mean, I'm stubborn in the kind of, you know, my personality, the way I kind of carry myself. Yes, we grow and we heal, but he said, listen, you need to do this because if there's something significant about your spouse before you marry them that you want to see change, more than likely it's not going to change, and certainly you don't have the power to be able to, to make that change. Only God can do that. So friends, think about that if you're considering and dating and fiancéing. But let me speak to those of you that are already married, like Paul is in 1 Corinthians. Many spouses are raising families of faith on their own, and their spouse is disengaged, uninterested in the faith or in church. And that's a tough spot to be, but according to Paul, you are in it for the long haul. You are committed. And so I want to share with you a couple of three things. Number one, pray hard. Just pray hard that God can change their heart. Don't nag, but be a loving influence and presence in that relationship. Friends, the Bible says that your actions in that circumstances, as you show the love of Jesus, may actually win them over. It is possible. It is possible in that moment. So lean into the body of Christ for help, and, and you'll discover faith-filled relationships that will help you and help your children, friends. This is what we need. We need the help of the body of Christ to do this together. So what about single parents? What about single parents? It could be a struggle to raise a family when your firm foundation and faith in the covenant of marriage has been fractured. But there is no shame in that, friends. There's just grace and there's love. And therefore, we need the body of Christ more than ever. We need the family of God more than ever. We need the local church more than ever to come alongside of and be the missing pieces of broken families. And so, friends, if you find yourself as a single parent, if you find yourself in a circumstance that you didn't plan on 20 years ago, but you find yourself in it now, know that you are in the right place. We love you, and we want to come alongside of you. We want to we wanna fill the spot of that absent family member, however that is in your life, and we need the family of God. We need the body of Christ to be that family for us. So, friends, no matter what your household looks like, we are the family of God together. We are the church, and we're here to love and to support with acts of mercy and kindness as your spiritual family to do this together. And we need each other to strengthen households that serve the Lord. And no matter your family or struggle, you can come as you are. You are welcome to come here as you are, no matter your family, no matter what the makeup of it looks like, and grow together in faith so that we can say today, we are declaring, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord and God show us the foundation for that family. So friends, here's some action steps and we're done. Number one, what challenges exist in your household today? What challenges exist in your household? And secondly, if, if, if you are living together, what keeps you from seeking marriage? What keeps you from that next step? Come and talk to me. Let's figure that out together. Let's have conversations and figure out how to take that next step and invite God into that relationship. And then thirdly, 
Fight for your marriage. Fight for your family. Fight for the relationships in your household and do it with the power and the strength of God, friends. Do it with the power and the strength of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that uh, we, we, um, we have accomplished Wesley's three simple rules today, Lord God. We pray that we've done no harm and that we're doing all the good that we can. And in the process, we're staying in love with you, God. And so I pray today, Lord, that we don't feel things like judgment or shame or those kinds of things, but Lord, we feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit on our hearts to make a change today so that we can set ourselves up better for your blessings tomorrow. Lord God, we lift up all of the households in our church, all of the households that are listening and tuning in, all of the households that we're connected to, and Lord God, we just seek your best. Show us what that looks like and allow us to love on each other in your name, Lord God, to welcome all people to our church but to also say, God, you teach us a better way to live. No matter what it is we're doing today, we can always grow. We can always get better. We can always get closer to you. We can always better honor our marriage. We can always better honor our parenting. We can always better honor our families. And so, Lord God, teach us how to do that in your name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Well, friends, I want to invite you to stand. And uh, we're going to sing this closing song together. And uh, the uh, front of the altar is open as always. We're going to have members of our prayer ministry team available here to pray with you. And some of you might be going through some brokenness and some challenge and some struggle in your family, whatever it may be. And you're just desperate and you don't, you don't even know where to turn or something. Or God's brought a, a wonderful convicting spirit into your heart today and you just want to seek prayer about that. Friends, the front of the altar is open. And we want to welcome you to that for prayer. And if you desire to be anointed with oil, we can do that to be reminded of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God Come afresh, God, and do this work in us as we sing this closing song.